Good morning, church. Pull up my notes real quick. It is such a joy and a pleasure to be with you guys uh, today. Uh, as Dwayne mentioned earlier, my name is Andrew. I'm a friend of Jordan's from college. Uh, I've known him for eight years at this point, so a little bit. Um, but we got to know each other uh, through the Baptist Student Ministries at Virginia Tech. Jordan was actually a year ahead of me and did a lot uh, to invest in me and disciple me over the course of the three years that we overlapped. Uh, Jordan and I quickly bonded uh, early on uh, because we figured out we had something in common. And that thing in common was the fact that our parents, both of our parents, uh, really didn't like Taco Bell. Um, so we were not really exposed uh, to Taco Bell growing up, uh, but the few times we were, we thought it was the greatest thing ever. And so our weekly meetings where Jordan and I would dive into the Word together and dive into Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis uh, ended up happening at Taco Bell more often than not. Um, so I don't go to Taco Bell as much as I used to, but every time I do uh, now, it, it always reminds me of those meetings with Jordan uh, and the fondness of those times. Uh, but outside, after college, uh, it's, it's still been great to continue in that friendship with Jordan and get to know Abigail and Charlie and Jefferson. Uh, I love, love their family so much and love that Jordan has continued to value my friendship and I have valued his friendship since then. A couple quick things about myself. So originally I am from Blacksburg, Virginia. Grew up here, went to Virginia Tech. Uh, graduated in 2018 uh, when I then, where I then moved out to Knoxville, Tennessee where I've been the past four years. Uh, I did a couple years of ministry with the Baptist Student Ministries at UT. Uh, did a couple years of project management with Truist. And now I am a full-time seminary student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, which is where Jordan uh, attended and where Abigail is currently taking classes now. Uh, Part-time, I work at a gluten-free restaurant uh, making uh, donuts and chicken uh, of the gluten-free variety. So it's a lot of fun uh, just giving people a unique service um, in that shape and form, and then also serve in a variety of cap capacities with my church that I attend in Knoxville. But enough about me. Let's talk about you guys for a second. Uh, over the past year, I've heard a lot about you from Jordan. Uh, it's been so cool to hear about the ways in which Jesus is working and moving in your church, the stories uh, of life changes, the baptisms that have been happening, uh, and the ways in which y'all have engaged in your community and shown them the love of Jesus. Uh, and so it's so exciting to be here because I feel like I already know you in a small way just through the stories I hear from Jordan about how Jesus is working. Um, so today, I'm actually going to be continuing in our series on Exodus. Uh, so if you've been going to New River for a while, you know that we've been in Exodus for about a year now. Uh, and tonight, we're, today, we're going to be diving into Exodus chapter 39. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give us a quick refresher of where we've been over the past couple months, uh, really the 10-ish preceding chapters before 39, because I think those are very important for us to get the context and understand where we are today. So... Looking back a little bit, in the chapters leading up to, to chapter 32, which is a really big focal point of the book of Exodus, we see Moses coming before the Lord and the Lord giving him these instructions on how to make this dwelling that the Lord's presence will be in, called the tabernacle. We also see him give these instructions on how to design these priestly garments that the priest uh, who will enter into the uh, tabernacle and engage with the Lord will wear and will look like. But then in Exodus 32, we see this pivot. The, the people are kind of getting impatient 
with Moses getting these instructions. They decide to kind of go off and do their own thing, to create their own God in the form of this golden calf and say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This is the God that we should follow. And there's this disconnect between who God really is and where he has brought them. And then in Exodus 33, Jordan preached about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, We see the Lord just really being done with the people and saying, like, I'm going to send my angel before you. I'm going to uh, have my favor with you, but my presence is no longer going to be with you. And then Moses is is like, no, God, (laughs) on behalf of the people, we need your presence. Your presence is important to us. We want that. Um, So moving forward, God decides that, hey, I'm still going to go through with my promises. We're still going to build this tabernacle. Uh, and have these priestly garments and these things and that covenant that I uh, will be with you. And that brings us to Exodus 39 uh, today. And at first glance, Exodus 39 looks a lot like chapter 28. Um, and, if, and if we're not careful, we might look at it and we think it's the, it is the exact same chapter. But there are some key distinct differences that we're going to look at today um, about what obedience looks like and who Jesus is and what discipleship specifically looks like. And today, my my key point we're going to be talking about is how discipleship involves looking back to how God brought us here and looking forward to who Christ calls us to be. So if you'll turn with me to Exodus 39, we're going to dive right in, starting in verse 1. From the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary. They also made sacred garments for Aaron, as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. They hammered out thin sheets of gold and cut strands to be worked into the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn in fine linen, the work of skilled hands. They made the shoulder pieces for the ephod, which were attached to two two of its corners so that it could be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband was like it, of one piece with the ephod, and made with gold, with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and with finely twisted linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses." So they mounted the onyx stones in gold filigree settings and engraved them like a seal with the names of the sons of Israel. Then they fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. They fashioned a breastpiece, the skill of a work craftsman. They made it like the ephod of gold, of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It was square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then they mounted the four rows of precious stones on it. The first row was carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row was turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row was jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row was topaz, onyx, and jasper. They were mounted in gold filigree settings. There were 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. For the breastpiece, they made braided chains of pure gold, like a rope. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and fastened the rings to the two to two of the corners of the breastpiece. They fastened the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. They made two gold rings and attached them to the two corners of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on front of the ephod, close to the seam, just above the waistband of the ephod. They tied the rings of the breastpiece to the rings of the ephod with blue cord connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece would not swing out from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the robe of the ephod entirely out of blue cloth, the work of a weaver, with an opening in the center of the robe like an opening of the collar, and a band around this opening so that it would not tear. They made pomegranates of blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and a finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe. And they made bells of pure gold and attached them around the hem between the pomegranates. 
The bells and pomegranates alternated around the hem of the robe to be worn for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. For Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver, and the turban of fine linen, the linen caps, and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. The sash was made of finely twisted linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate, the sacred emblem, out of pure gold, engraved on it like an inscription on a seal, holy to the Lord. Then they fastened a blue cord to it and attached it to the turban, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed. The Israelites did everything as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the covering of ram skins, dyed red, and covering of another durable leather, and shielding curtain, the Ark of the Covenant Law with its poles and atonement cover, the table with all of its articles and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its rows of lamps and all of its accessories, and the olive oil for the light the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, and the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grating, its poles and all of its utensils, the basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and the tent pegs for the courtyard, all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the woven garments worn for ministering. Sorry. Woven garments for his sons when serving as priest. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and said that it had been done just as the Lord commanded. So Moses blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much uh, for bringing us here today and this chance to dive into your word together. Um, yeah, as we're reading it, it's so easy just to be lost in the details and to um, look at it and go, this, this passage seems dry and boring, but God, this is, this is your word, this is inspired, this is valuable uh, for us. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today, uh, that God, as, uh, as we dive into this passage, that um, you would be here and present among us, that we would be um, willing to hear what you might uh, have to lay on our hearts, and that we would be willing to act and to follow you uh, because of your son and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this passage is a lot. <laughs> uh, as we just saw, man, there's just a lot of details. It's easy to get lost. It's easy, um, man, it, man, to just really wonder what's the point. Um, but really, this passage really serves to communicate a lot. Um, and, and as we've been going through this series on Exodus, Jordan has been talking a lot on discipleship and what discipleship looks like. At the beginning of the series, Jordan defined discipleship as this, as being devoted, being a devoted, developing, and deployed follower of Jesus Christ. Now, looking at this passage in Exodus 39, people don't have a context for who Jesus is at this point. You know, they don't know what it means to be a devoted, developing, deployed follower of Jesus Christ. But, in a way, we, we see God teaching them to be, de- to, to be a devoted, developing, and deployed follower of him. And we're going to kind of be picking that apart and diving into that today. See, the Lord is, is telling these people, you know, this is, this is the, um, the garments that your priests are to wear, uh, and there is so much that we can learn about God and his character through that. So, this brings me to point number one. Discipleship brings things together. And there are several things we see that happen in this passage. If we look specifically at verse 1, I don't know if you caught this, 
But the threads that are mentioned, first thing on, blue, purple, and scarlet in verse 1, and then again throughout the rest of the passage, these three threads are the same threads used in the creation of the tabernacle, these same colors. <laughs> uh, and so we're looking at this, and, and God, is, God is using this to remind them that the tabernacle is not this separate thing, that the priestly garments are paralleling the tabernacle and the Lord's presence. Secondly, in verse 1, we see this phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. And skipping ahead throughout the passage, we see this same phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses, repeated nine times. And here's where one of the big differences between chapter 28 and chapter 29 come out. Um, we're reminded here with this, with this phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses, that chapter 28 is the initial command God has given his people. And 39 is this follow-through of obedience, of this this is, we're actually going to do this. We're going to create these garments that the Lord has commanded for us to create. There's this devotion to the Lord and this development as they're learning to obey and to follow him. Now, I want to use a quick analogy real quick as we're thinking about the parallel uh, between the, the priestly garments and the tabernacle and those matching threads and then this obedience. So when I was at Virginia Tech, I had a friend who was a tour guide. Uh, so they had to go through this intense training where they learned what it looked like to engage with prospective Virginia Tech students, to teach them about Virginia Tech, show them around, and to get them excited about potentially coming and being a student at Virginia Tech. So they would wear uh, a Virginia Tech shirt as they walked around. They would wear a name tag that had their name on it and also the logo for Virginia Tech to show that they were affiliated and a part of Virginia Tech and representing them. Now, if my friend decided one day uh, they were going to show up to work to give a tour, and they decided to wear a University of Virginia shirt. And just to be, like, really, you know, depressed, kind of bummed about everything, and not excited about their tour, and go, like, I don't even know why I'm going here. I don't like to go here. You, you guys shouldn't even come here. Now, they would probably quickly lose that job and not be able to come back to that. <laughs> you see, part of it being a tour guide and being a representative for a university is you are getting excited about it. You are showing that you are connected to that university and you value it. It means something to you. And you want other people to be a part of it. And that, in a way, is what is happening here with the priesthood. As they're wearing these threads that match up with the tabernacle, they are showing this, this is something we want to be a part of. This is something that is valuable to us. This isn't something that is just set over here, that we go to this tabernacle, we're present with the Lord. No, this is something we are reminded of constantly as we go about our daily lives. See, the, the people would look at the priests, and they would be reminded, looking at those threads, of the tabernacle. You know, as the priest is going about and maybe far away from the tabernacle, they're reminded that, that, that that's where God's presence is. That's what's important. That's why we're here. We are his people. And I would think even that the priest would look at the threads as he's putting them on and go like, man, this, this, is, this is a big deal. This is meaningful. This is important. Whether in the tabernacle or out and about, the priest would represent God, and the people are reminded of God's presence in the tabernacle simply by looking at the garments. See, God is teaching the people that their relationship with him is something that should permeate all aspects of our lives not just this one singular aspect over here. It's something they should think about daily and should um, be present in every, everything, every area of their life. To illustrate this, uh, for us as followers of Jesus, uh, true discipleship is really when we look at all aspects of our lives and see that Christ is present and working, no matter what area that is. Uh, I want to look real quick at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, it says this. It's going to be up on the screen. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For followers of Jesus, Christ renews us and calls us into something deeper. When we choose to follow him, the radical work of Jesus really has a radical effect on us and causes us to have this renewing of our minds as this Romans passage is talking about. We think differently about how we interact with the different spectrums of our life than before we were followers of Jesus. And we see this revealed in in this Exodus passage as the people are, are being shown that this is not just this one singular thing. This is something that we think about as we go about every aspect of our lives. Moving on to point two, I think that we can take away from this passage. Discipleship involves remembering where we came from. So secondly, if we look at the passage, we see different parts of the priestly garment serve different purposes and reminders. Uh, I've actually got a little graphic I'm going to pull up. It's a little small. You might not be able to see it. But this is one artist's interpretation of what the garments could have looked like. Um, and one of the big aspects of it that we see majority of the passage, uh, verses 2 through 23, talk about is a thing called the ephod. And the ephod is that kind of colorful thing over the blue that's a lot like an apron um, based off of the passage and what we can take from it. It's most likely uh, comparable to something like that. Um, and it was used just to carry that breast piece with those 12 gemstones and also the... the uh, the, the, shoulder, the shoulder blades, uh, which had those onyx stones on them. Specifically, we learn about the onyx stones. Uh, those are engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel as a memorial for the priest. So the priest is reminded of who he is representing uh, on his shoulders as he goes into the Lord's presence. These 12 and precious stones that are on this breast piece that we see right here, those are also significant because, once again, they have the 12 tribes uh, engraved upon them. And these stones are, are, are pretty sizable. They're valuable. Uh, they would require a sacrifice uh, for the Israelites who probably own them as jewelry to give uh, for uh, the priestly garments and to sacrifice and to give instead of holding on to them themselves. These are valuable and, and, and are precious. Um, on top of this, these stones are placed over their, the priest's heart. Uh, and throughout Scripture, we see the heart as the significant place where our desires come from. And so when, when the priest has these stones over his heart, you know, this is a reminder that man, he is desiring uh, to bring the people before God. He represents them. He is uh, the people's emissary before God. Um, and whenever he goes in front of God's presence, he is reminded of the, God's covenant and the people that God has claimed as his own in these 12 people. Moving on to verse 25, we see it talk about uh, these bells that are around the hem of the robe. And I know Jordan talked about this when he preached on chapter 28. But these bells did several things. When the priest would go into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, these bells would jingle. Or you would, they would jingle everywhere, really. But um, if for whatever reason the priest was not right in the eyes of the Lord, uh, had some secret sin that he was hiding or some way in which he was unworthy, uh, the Lord would strike him dead. Um, and the bells were the symbol of, of that, of like when the bells stopped ringing, they knew that something bad had happened, and they knew that they would need to pull him out. 
beyond that, these bells were this symbol as the priest would walk around the people. Uh, they would hear him coming. <laughs> uh, and they would be reminded again to look and to see those threads, to see his garments, and be reminded of the tabernacle, be reminded of the Lord and his covenant with the people. We on to verse 30, we see this golden plate that's placed in the turban. Uh, and it's written with the inscription, Holy to the Lord. Once again, this is also this reminder uh, that the people are set apart, that they are God's chosen people, that... Um, there's the significant relationship between the people and God as they approach him. Um, and there's also this, the significance as the priest is, is walking into the tabernacle to be in the presence of the Lord, to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. There's that reminder of, uh, of the gravitas of all of that. And so all these things are really designed in a way to remind the people where they came from, to remind themselves of the covenant that the Lord made with them the 12 tribes where they came from, God's promises with Abraham and his descendants to make them into a nation. So God uses these garments to remind the people where they came from. And where we come from profoundly affects us. So if you think about the environment you were raised in, uh, whether it was a good or a bad environment, whether you're raised by your parents, raised by maybe other relatives or someone else, it affects us in a good way or in a bad way. Um... There are things we learn from it, things that, man, are really hard and maybe even traumatic. Um, and sometimes there may even be aspects that aren't worth remembering from where we come from. But whatever it is, it affects us and affects the way we think about our lives. We think about even how we may parent or how we may uh, approach the things around us. But while there may not be aspects worth remembering in our own background, in our own growing up, for followers of Jesus, following him is something that is always worth remembering. When we choose to follow Jesus, uh, it is this, this Ebenezer, this, this important moment in our lives that, that changes everything, uh, that is worth remembering because he brought us from death into life. And I want to read a passage real quick to illustrate that. This is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that you, in the coming reign, that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus." See, this idea that we have, as followers of Jesus, have been brought from death into life is something that's worth celebrating, something that's worth reminding ourselves on a daily basis. And see, God is is teaching the people here that his covenant is worth being reminded of. It's important. His presence is significant for them. And for us as followers of Jesus, this is also important to remember that in Jesus, as this perfect perfect sacrifice, this perfect priest who came to us, uh, is worth remembering and celebrating daily. Point three, my final point. Discipleship points us forward to something greater. So looking back at the passage, we see the garments are important, an important thing that give the people purpose and direction. They're not just something that is one individual time <laughs> that, that, is, that is set apart. It is something that is ongoing, um, a way for them to relate to God, to be 
uh, among his presence, to have his presence with them. Um, it is this ongoing plan for how they relate to God. At the end of the chapter, in verse 43, we see that Moses inspects everything and saw that it, is, saw that it was done correctly. And as we have already seen, each part of the garments is designed for a specific purpose, to remind them of different things, to show them who God is, to show them and remind them of who they are. So as Moses is inspecting them, he is looking into, like, hey, this, this is not just a bunch of rules that we have to follow. This isn't just a bunch of things we have to do because God told us to. This is a bunch of things that God told us to because they're important, they're significant, and lead us in rem- to a reminder of who God is and who he has called us to be. So going back to the more specifics of the garment, the people with the garments are to stand out with the clothing and to be a light. As we've looked at the passage, we've seen that there's just a lot of elaborate aspects of it. There's all these precious gemstones on, uh, on the breast piece. There's these precious stones on the shoulders. There's these gold chains uh, and bells all throughout the garments. I'm sure these garments cost a lot of money, <laughs> if we think about it from a practical level. In verse 3 and verse 8, we see that the garments were crafted from the work of skilled hands and from a skilled craftsman. Like, these aren't just your any old garments or clothing. These are significant. They look good. Uh, I'm sure that artist, artist rendition that we looked at earlier is great, but I'm sure they, it can't capture the full glory of the garments as God intended them initially. See, not only are they supposed to be glorious and, and to be bright and shining, to, to look like something that is valuable... Uh, they, in a way, show how the people are meant to live lives that are different from the world around them, different from the nations around them who worship other gods. How them following Jesus is some, following God at this time is something that is, uh, is different, um, that people would look at them and see, like, their God is different. They, the way they pursue him, the way God's, their God's presence is among them, uh, you know, makes us think differently about things, and, and it's something worth inquiring into. See, the, the people are supposed to, with these garments, to stand out and to be a light, to be different from the world around them in their pursuit of the Lord. See, as I mentioned earlier, this is this ongoing process of relating to the Lord, uh, and it's also imperfect. Uh, you see, this is this constant engagement in, in the Lord's presence. These garments have to be put on on a daily basis. Uh, the tabernacle has to be set up in this very specific and intentional way. Um, and later, we're, we're going to see prophets who are going to come and tell of this Messiah who will come and be the perfect priest to bear the sins of all, to be this lamb, this sacrificial lamb, um, who will forever destroy the barrier between God and man, and that relationship will be restored. And we, we're... we're uh, given a picture more into what this um, this Messiah looks like in some of the imagery of the uh, garments. So in verses 27 and 28, we see that the tunics, the turban, and the undergarment are, undergarments are all made of linen, and this linen is white, of course. And white in this in the Israelites' culture represented purity, something that was set apart and innocent. So when the people put together these garments, they had the white underneath everything, there was this, this men- mental kind of picture that was being painted in their heads of this person is set apart, is pure, is, is, is going to represent this, this innocence coming before the Lord, which is why it was so important that the, the, all these rules had to be followed as the, per- as the priest would go into the presence of the Lord. 
And this white imagery is further uh, portrayed throughout scripture in this idea of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. A lamb is white and pure as snow, is innocent, is blameless. And Jesus was that sacrificial lamb who came, bore the sin and shame of all humanity, uh, and died so that that barrier could be uh, removed and the relationship between God and people be restored. See, Jesus is the perfect high priest who serves as a mediator between God and people. Um, this, this way of relating to the Lord we see in Exodus 39 is imperfect. It's just a part of God's ultimate plan for humanity. So looking at this passage, we see that at the end of the day, discipleship, it really isn't about us. You know, when the, when the people were designing uh, and putting together the tabernacle and the priestly garments, they were constantly reminded of God's presence and how everything revolved around their covenant with him and God's presence in their lives. And for followers of Jesus, it also isn't about us. It's about Jesus. Uh, and we see this brought out in uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to read that real quick. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppositions from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. See, in this passage, we see Jesus revealed as this author and perfecter of our faith, the one who went before us, who was that perfect mediator between us and God, who demolished the old uh, sacrificial system and the system uh, which we see in Exodus 39. Um, and we see, yeah, like, I, like this point is bringing out, discipleship points us forward to something greater. The garments were designed to point the people forward to something greater. Um, and following Jesus, as we're running this race, we're pointing to something greater. We're pointing to his glory and to giving his glory in our lives daily. So, uh, in closing, I want us to look real quick at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, because I really think this, this brings a lot of the things together. There's a lot of imagery in there about uh, the high priest and um, the tabernacle. Uh, and also just gives us some practical ways in which we, as followers of Jesus, can live our lives uh, in this mentality of discipleship, bringing things together and um, looking back to where we came from and pointing us forward to something greater. So if you'll if you look at me with at First Peter uh, 2, verses 4 through 6 and 9 through 10. So as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as we go back and we think about uh, point one, we talked about how discipleship brings things together. Uh, I want us to return to this idea of how discipleship involves thinking about all the different aspects of our lives. And how no matter how small, 
we always represent Christ as we go about our lives. Uh, in this First Peter passage, we see this imagery of, of the people of God being, um, being a spiritual house, a tabernacle in a sense, and to be a holy priesthood um, in the place of the old priesthood. And this imagery makes us think about these things and about what it looks like to make these aspects, all aspects of our lives, under Christ. And that being said, I want to leave us with this question, uh, thinking about that. Are there areas of your life where you have effectively shut Jesus out of? Uh, And just to illustrate that question more, I want to do a personal story uh, from my own life about this. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, I work at a gluten-free restaurant. Uh, We make donuts and chicken. Um, Very unique uh, from any other restaurant in Knoxville. Um, But more recently, I've been doing a lot of morning shifts. I'll come in early, make the donuts before we open, uh, get things set up. And in recent weeks, uh, I've been coming in to an extremely messy restaurant (laughs) where whoever was closing the night before did not clean up, did not set the ingredients aside for me to prep the donuts in the morning. And I've been finding myself getting really, really perturbed with that. Um, and not, not in the best mood as I'm going about my day. Like, I'm spending a lot more time than I should getting things prepped, making these donuts. And by the time customers get here, I'm, I'm still not done with everything. And I found even beyond that, that as customers are getting in there, I am not being the most loving <laughs> and engaging with them as they're coming in. Because I am so caught up in the things before. And I'm, I'm dwelling on this frustration with my coworker, dwelling on this... Um, anxiety over the busyness of trying to get everything done. And so really, as I was prepping the sermon, I was convicted myself as, as how I wasn't allowing Jesus into that part of my life. As I was uh, just being frustrated and anxious about things, I wasn't giving that up to Jesus. I wasn't allowing him to be Lord over that area of my life. I was shutting him out, and that affected my ability to love my coworker and to love our customers well. Um, so for me, a, a lot of that has just simply been, um, you know, when I come in and things aren't set the way they should be, uh, I'm just giving that up to the Lord. I'm going, God, like, this is, this is a way for me to serve and to love my coworker. This is a way for me to love and serve our customers as I, I go about uh, doing this extra work that, that is maybe unnecessary, but it's a way for me to serve and to love people. So uh, Jesus being present in all aspects of our lives doesn't just apply to our jobs, but also applies to our family lives, to the way in which we engage with cultural issues, the way in which we engage social media and even sporting events. How is Jesus present there, and are we recognizing his presence and recognizing his lordship over those situations with humility? Uh, Number two, how are we reminding ourselves of Christ and his sacrifice daily? In verse 10 of this first Peter passage, we see that it say, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I got this question for us. How do we practically remind ourselves of the reality of Jesus and what he has done for us? You see, the, following Jesus is something that is significant and important, as we talked about earlier. It's something that is, uh, is life-giving. It brings us this new joy and this sense of purpose as we go about our lives. And it's something that, man, if we're not careful, it can grow stale. Um, but it should be something that is always a reminder in our minds uh, and is vibrant and pointing us towards our purpose and uh, our foundation in Christ. So a couple of just 
simple, practical ways in which we can remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. We can think back to our own testimony. We can be reminded of how we were once in darkness, we were once in death, and now we have been brought into life in Christ. Uh, one way, another a way to do that on top of that is to look at scripture that really reminds us of those truths. I talked about this Ephesians 2 pas- passage earlier that talks about being brought from death into life. That's always a go-to passage for me as I think about and, and I'm reminded about, man, there was once I was in rebellion and in sin against the Lord. I was dead, uh, but now I have new life in him. Another passage I like to go to is Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. And it's this, this passage that talks about how Jesus was the servant that we look to as an example for how we live our lives. Another way we remind ourselves of who Jesus is is simply being here today. It's what you guys are doing right here, church, as we're worshiping God together, as we're engaging in community and fellowship. Um, that's how we remind ourselves of Jesus. And it doesn't end there. You guys are creative. You can think of all kinds of different ways in which you can daily, daily approach the throne of God and engage with him. The last kind of practical thing we're going to talk about is how we are Christ ambassadors to the world and are set apart. As we're looking forward, as discipleship is calling us forward, uh, this is something we're thinking about. We're not representing God with physical clothing, with these fantastical priestly robes as we talked about. We are representing Christ um, because Christ is living amongst us. He is in us. Um, Looking back at the first Peter passage in verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. So I've got this question for us. Where Where is the Lord calling you to declare Jesus's praises as you go about your life? Where is the Lord calling you to declare Jesus' praises as you go about your life? Uh, and now some of you may have a quick answer to that. You know, you know your coworkers uh, or, or other people in your life who God has called you to minister to and to love, to share Jesus with. Um, and that's great. And I want us to continue to engage with that and to, and to engage with that calling the Lord has called us to. But also I want us to think critically about man, how every day the Lord may call us to something new, to new people. And I've got a little prayer uh, that's actually taken from Alan Reed's book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, that uh, Alan Reed talks about as making a practice in his daily life as he engages and thinks about how he may declare uh, Jesus' praises to people. And it's a prayer that I've really tried to uh, put in my life as well. And the prayer is this. God, give me today, one, an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus. Two, the wisdom to see it. And three, the courage to take it. Give me today an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to take it. See, church, we are Christ ambassadors among our community, among our workplaces, wherever we may be. Um, And I think it's just so critical for us to be thinking about how God may be calling us to declare his praises as we go about our lives. So in closing, I just want to finish uh, with just a reminder of all that we've talked about. So as God, has, as God has called the Israelites to be his people, so he is calling us to be his people now as followers of him. So may our discipleship f- reflect the reality of who Christ is as we look back to what he has done in our lives and as we look forward to where he might be calling us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for bringing us here today. I thank you so much for your word uh, and the reminders in it, uh, the reminders of, of how you brought your people out of Egypt, 
through Exodus, uh, how you promised to be their God, to be present among them. Um, and you showed, showed grace in that way, uh, in, in that formation of your tabernacle, in the relationship through the high priest. Um, and God, we praise you that, that that was a temporary thing, that you did, had, a, had a bigger plan in store through Jesus, that you brought uh, and sent your son down uh, to be the ultimate sacrifice, to be the ultimate reconciliation point between us and you. And you have called us into this place of reminding ourselves where we came from, what you have done in our lives, the, the, the fact that you have brought us out of death and into life. And I pray that we would live in that reminder daily that whoever we engage with, whoever we interact with, whether they know you or they don't, God, that you would be present, that you would be reminding us of your glorious praises and that we may be speaking those into the lives of those around us. God, thank you so much for today. Uh, and who you are and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.